How you doing, City Church? Aren't our Kids City kids great? I, our, I love our little Kids City kids. Well, it is great to be with you today. And I have a question. Where are my fellow chaos coordinators? Where are my moms? Do I got any moms in the house? Moms, stand up for me for just a second. Don't be shy. Come on, moms. Let's give our moms a round of applause, will you please? They brought you here. They dragged you here. They made it here. Thank you, moms, for all that you do. You know, I'm a mom, too. I have three children. They range in age from 5 to 17. And that's a really big age gap. And so my husband and I frequently joke that we know exactly how this happened. We just don't know what we were thinking. And so one of the things that keeps us sane in the Jack house is routines. And so we have multiple routines, but we've had the same bedtime routine for years, and it sounds like this. We all get together as a family and we say our prayers at night, and then I go and tuck each of the children into bed one at a time in their rooms. And every night I do this, I ask them a question. And I ask them, who made you? To which their response is, God. And I said, and how did he make you? And they say, good. And then the fun part comes because their personalities come out and I say, how else did he make you? And my five-year-old daughter will say things like, he made me creative and an artist and with a big heart. And my six-year-old son will say things like, he made me faster than the flash and he made me the best flag football grabber and baseball player. And it's super fun to watch their personalities come out in this exercise. But a couple of months ago, uh, we, I came home one day and my daughter had gotten a yellow behavior mark for the third day in a row. And for those of you that don't know, in pre-K and in kindergarten, they have a traffic light kind of behavior system where it's red, yellow, and green. And yellow just means that she needed to take some time and think about her behavior and she could have behaved better. Well, as soon as I got home, I asked her, hey, baby girl, how was your day? And immediately she looked at me and she started crying. And then she ran straight to her room. And now my daughter is not the emotional one in the family and so this really took me back and so I went into her room and I sat on her bed and I said, baby girl, what's wrong, what happened? And she looked up at me with pure devastation and she said, mommy, I'm not good, I'm bad. And there it was. It happened, I actually saw it. The moment where my daughter went from believing and knowing that she was good to be believing that she was bad. And I was confused. And I find myself asking, how did my baby girl from good to bad right in front of my eyes? You see, on day one and day two that she brought home these behavior marks, she felt guilt. She was able to say what she did wrong. She was able to go to timeout and apologize and say that she would do better tomorrow. But on day three, she felt shame. She went from, I am good and I made a mistake, to I am bad. And what happened to my daughter can happen to any one of us. Some of us have had moments in our life just like this where there are things that we have done or things that have been done to us that make us feel shame. 
Things like choosing to hide a purchase from our spouse, causing us to place lie on top of lie so that way we're not found out. Or giving into temptation and having an affair and now we're having to watch as our children are questioning if it's something that they have done as a divorce is being pursued. Or what about clicking on that ad and turning to pornography as an escape resulting in a distorted view of our expectations and a widening gap of, of intimacy between you and your spouse. These moments can fuel the movement from guilt to shame and they make us go from saying, this is what I did, guilt, to this is who I am, shame. And no matter what your moments are, there is one thing that is true is that when these things happen in our lives, when we move from guilt to shame and stay there, it begins to affect our identity. We begin to believe that we are what we have done. When we stay in our shame, we begin to believe that we are what we have done. And once it does, we begin to live down to those expectations of ourselves. We can't rise above it or move beyond it, and it begins to affect everything that we do. It blocks our confidence. It creates doubt. It makes us think, I'm not good enough. And so we begin to compare ourselves to other people, and we begin to focus on what we can't do versus what we can do. And so we stop trying altogether, and then we put on this mask that we wear every day. So when people ask us, hey, how are you doing? We say things like, oh, I'm good. Oh, I'm fine. Or my favorite, I'm blessed. And we do this all in an effort to keep people at an arm's length away and to cover up what's really going on so others don't really see us and they don't see our shame. And so the question becomes, is there a way to get back to finding that childlike confidence having been made good? And does God have anything to say about our shame? Well, at City Church, we believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. And today I wanna take a look at a story where Jesus came face to face with a woman where her shame was on full display. So it was the Feast of Tabernacles, which in the time of Jesus was when the Jewish men and women all went to Jerusalem for a week-long celebration. So essentially, it was like their fiesta, and it was packed. And Jesus was in the temple area teaching a crowd that had gathered when teachers and some religious leaders dragged a woman in and made her stand in front of Jesus. And this is what they said, teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? All right, so, so let's take a minute real quick and let's pause and let's unpack this a little bit so we fully understand what is really going on here. So this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And at that time, there was a law that said this was punishable by death, by stoning. So that was a thing. But let's put ourselves in this story for a second, and let's imagine that we are there. This room was interrupted, where this woman was engaged in an act of intimacy. 
and it was interrupted by religious leaders who I imagine were in their fine fabrics and their long flowing robes because it was a religious festival. And then she was forced out of that room and only she was forced out of that room, not her partner in crime. And she was dragged into this big courtyard outside a temple where Jesus was. Now scripture doesn't say this, but I imagine in the commotion of the moment that they didn't give her the option to get fully dressed or to completely cover up. But scripture does say that they made her stand in front of Jesus, who was teaching a crowd at a festival that was packed with religious men. And when I picture her in this moment, I imagine that she is standing there with her face down and her shoulders slumped and she's trying to cover herself up as best as she could as she stood in front of Jesus and all of these men with her shame on full display for everyone to judge and for everyone to see, waiting to be administered the punishment of death by stoning. Can you imagine the shame that she must have felt in her exposure as she waited for Jesus to respond and as she anticipated getting hit by the first stone? It would be like finding out that some of your most intimate acts were recorded and then uploaded to social media and started to go viral and you sat there looking at the screen, waiting and watching as all of the comments began to flow in. Scripture says that Jesus bent down and he started writing on the ground with his finger and when he was done, he stood up and he said, all right. Jesus says, all right, go ahead, okay, stoner. And some of us, we can totally relate, and this isn't surprising to us at all whatsoever because we think that that is exactly what God is going to say. Some of us may have grown up in a church where we were taught that God is sitting up on his throne keeping tabs of all of our bad behavior and all of the things that we have done wrong, just waiting to administer punishment. You see, this woman was wrong. There is no denying that she was guilty. Jesus recognized her guilt. He acknowledged that there were laws that administer punishments when you break them. You see, he's not dismissing her sin and he's certainly not condoning her behavior. And I can imagine that when he said this, how at that moment, how her shoulders could have tensed and she could have winced in anticipation of the first stone to hit. And then she heard, but, but, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. I picture time standing still as she inhales and holds her breath, and then I imagine her see Jesus stoop down to the ground and the crowd quickly 
quieting until it becomes completely silent. And then she hears the sound of the first stone hit the ground and not her. And then the second stone. And then the third. I imagine that she hears numerous stones hitting the ground, allowing her to exhale with tears falling to the ground, soaking the dirt in front of Jesus's face until the last stone fell on the floor. Scripture says, and then Jesus stood up again. You see, he did not move, he did not wince, he did not waver, he stayed there protecting her until every last stone had fallen to the ground. Then Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord. She said, and Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. But wait, she was guilty. So why didn't Jesus condemn her? You see, Jesus didn't just see her sin, he saw all of her. He saw her past, her present, and her future. He saw the moment in her life when she went from knowing she was good to believing that she was bad. He saw the moment that her shame started. You see, she wasn't always an adulteress. At one point in her life, she was this bubbly five-year-old girl that said, I am good just like my daughter, and just like you, and just like me. And then something happened in her life that fueled her lack of self-worth, that fueled her shame, and that told her that this was the best that she could do. He saw when she needed someone to tell her, what you have done is not who you are. He needed somebody to tell her what she was worth, to remind her that she was created good, and to show her how much she was loved. Jesus literally gave permission for the religious leaders to execute this woman. He did not condone, nor did he dismiss her bad behavior. But but he also forgave her. And he told her to go and sin no more. And when he did this, any basis for her shame vanished. Jesus didn't condemn her for her sin. Jesus showed her that what she did was not who she was. And Jesus doesn't condemn you or I for our sins either. And so with this truth, the question now becomes, how do we get back to knowing that what we did is not who we are? How do we get rid of our shame? First, you have to put your trust in Jesus. At City Church, we believed that we are saved by grace and that his grace cannot be earned and his love cannot be lost. 
Last weekend, we baptized 43 people. That's 43 more people that put their faith in Jesus and showed that in an outward expression through baptism. And if you have never placed your trust in Jesus, I want to invite you to do that today. Second, we have to get honest about where our shame came from so we can reject it and forgive. You see, shame has many places where it can start and it has many more places where it can grow. And in order for us to reject our shame, we have to find the source of where it started. We have to reject the lies it tells us and forgive those who have wronged us. At City Church, we have a program called Peeling the Onion or PTO which is a safe community for you to courageously connect as you peel back the layers of your life. It also helps you create a space to begin to understand that your past does not have to dictate your future. Now, I have been through PTO personally and is where I found the root of where my shame came from. Our next round of PTO starts on May 31st and registration is currently open. And if you are ready to take that next step and go and find where the source of your shame comes from, I want you to go to the center pavilion after service and sign up or go to city.church PTO and register. And guys, I want you to do this because this step is critical. You see, we can't teach what we don't know. And parents, moms, my fellow chaos coordinators, it is us together raising the next generation. They are our future. You know, the other day I was uh, at the store and I was in the checkout line. I was behind this mom and she had three kids and she was doing the typical thing that you do when you're in line and there's candy at the checkout counter. She was doing the keep your hands to yourself and the uh, stop using your inside voice and stop touching and she was doing, which was totally warranted because you know they were getting a little crazy. And then while the checker was talking to her, uh, she had this moment and she totally lost it. And she grabbed one of the little boys by the arm and she forcefully put him on the ground and she started yelling at him. And she said, how stupid do you have to be? I told you to sit down and shut up. And when this happened, this kid shrunk and he put himself into this little ball as if he was trying to make himself as small as possible and disappear. Y'all, that is shame. And in this moment, I had so much heartache for this little boy, but I also simultaneously had so much heartache for this mom, because what I understand is that she was acting out of what she knew and who she believed herself to be. She learned that from somewhere. And some of you, you may be in the same situation where you were belittled and you were shamed in a similar way. And if that's the case, I wanna ask you, where did your shame come from? And right now, I want you to remember who that was and what was said to you. And I'm going to ask you to let me do something. I'm going to ask you to let me speak to you on their behalf. 
So picture that person and hear those words. I am sorry. I am sorry for the things that I said to you. I was acting out of my own mess and I put that on you and I was wrong. You are not what I said. You are brave and you are smart and you are strong. And I am so incredibly proud of you. Will you please forgive me? Thank you for giving me permission to speak into your life. But now it's your turn. If you know that you have used shame with your children this week, today, I want you to stand in your own place and I want you to apologize to your children and I want you to make it right. Let us model for our kids who we want them to become. Let us be a community of people that raise our children with confidence, with humility, and with uncommon bravery. Let us teach them to embrace and understand what God says about them, who he created them to be, and who they are in him. Let us teach our children that they are not what they do. And finally, to get rid of our shame, just like Jesus instructed the woman, we have to go and sin no more. Now this doesn't mean that you are never going to sin again. That is not what Jesus meant. That is not what he was intending to say. Remember, Jesus' death on the cross was so that we could have forgiveness of sins in our past, our present, and in our future. But it does mean that we can't keep going back to our sin. We can't sit in our patterns of bad behavior and just write it off as just who we are and not strive to get better. Jesus' grace and forgiveness does not give us a free pass to live however we want to. It is a call for us to know that we were created in the image of God and that we are good and that we should walk in this life accordingly. Now while I was sitting on the bed with my daughter after, to after she told me that she was bad, I grabbed both of her hands and I looked her straight in the eye and I said, no ma'am, you are not bad. You made a bad choice, and we are going to do better tomorrow, right? And she said, yes. And I said, who made you? And she said, God. And I said, and how did he make you? Good. And I said, that's right, baby girl. He made you good. And I want you to know the same thing. And some of you are sitting here and you, you don't believe that and you haven't let that soak in yet. So let me grab both of your hands. Let me look you straight in the eye and let me tell you that you were created by God 
The same God that said, let there be light, and there was light. The same God that spoke this world into motion. The God that controls the wind and the waves. The God of heaven and earth. He made all of those things good. And that same God created you. Scripture tells us that he knows how many hairs are on your head. He tells us that he is the, you are the apple of his eye, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are knit together perfectly in your mother's womb. He knew, he knew you before the beginning of time, and he sent his one and only son to this earth to die on a cross for your sins and your shame. God does no wrong. He is light. He is love, and he created you in that image, and you are good, and you are strong, and you are brave, and you are kind, and you are filled with integrity, and you have great character. And you are capable. He made you good. This is how you were created. This is the truth of your identity and the identity that he calls you to live out. But I want you to know that this will take uncommon bravery. You see, because the enemy, he is not okay with this. He wants to keep you in your sin and in your shame. And so when you hear the voices of shame starting to creep back in, when you begin to feel anxious and to feel fear and to begin to have those voices which says that there is no self-worth, I want you to stand your ground. I want you to reject it and plant your feet firm and you say no. I am a child of the living God. I am loved, I am cherished, and I am adored above all things by the creator of all things for the glory of him who is greater than all things. And I am good. City Church, I have a question for you. Who made you? And how did he make you? That's right. He made you good. Let's pray. God, I thank you for that truth. And God, right now, I just pray that that just washes over everyone in this room, in the video cafe, listening online, that it washes over them, that they are good. And God, there are some people that want to believe this and they haven't yet put their faith and their trust in your son, Jesus, but they want to right now and there's something stirring in them. And so right now, if that is you, I want to invite you to pray this prayer in your heart and in your mind. God, I know I have sinned. And I'm choosing right now to place my faith in Jesus and that he died on, this, on the cross for my sins and for my shame. 
I choose to believe. And God, right now I wanna pray for those chains to be broken, those chains of unworthiness, those chains and those lies that say that we are stupid, that we are not capable, Father. Those things that hold us back, anything that has been spoken over anybody that is listening. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that those chains be broken and that God, that you replace those tapes with your truth of our worthiness. God, fill those places that have been hurt. Fill us with you. And God, right now I wanna pray a special prayer over our moms. Thank you, God, for our moms. God, give them the strength, give them the endurance to continue on. Fill them with your love, God. Give them your love. Wrap your arms around them and just love on them in a special way. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.